On this episode of the Ham and High podcast, we have two guests and another presence casting a shadow over proceedings. I'm your host, Andre Longley, and this week I speak to Lucas Hare and Kerry Shale from Is It Rolling Bob? Talking Dylan. In that podcast, Luke and Kerry discuss all things Bob Dylan with a different guest each month and use Bob as a jumping off point for discussions about life, art, politics and culture. So, Luke and Kerry, thank you so much for joining us today on the Have and High podcast. Um, for the listeners, we're going to talk a lot about Bob, about Bob Dylan um, today, because uh, Luke and Kerry have got a podcast called Is It Rolling Bob? Um, but they're also both professional actors and both have lived in, in North London in the past. So just to introduce yourselves, uh, uh, Luke, what's your acting background? Hello. Um, yeah, I left I left uh, drama school. I went to Lambda in I left the, the sort of mid 90s and I've been working you know pretty steadily since it's been different over the last year but I've yeah done little bits of tv and things and quite a lot of theatre and uh, lots of uh, little parts in in good fun jobs you know often often well-meaning professionals if there's a an affable vet or a a a smiley policeman or something you may well have seen me doing that I don't know um but yeah and, and I was in the crown a couple of years ago which was was great fun a couple of days work and uh, Kerry, it's a, a long CV for you as well. But some people, some of our listeners will know you from theatre jobs around North London. Uh, yeah, I did a couple of shows at the Almeida, actually, um, just uh, shortly after I moved to uh, to Islington. But also I've worked at Hampstead um, and uh, well, all over all over London and all over the country, really. The Don Mar and Riverside Studios and the Gate and the Royal Court and uh and 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 studios uh, and uh, theaters out, outside of london but um yeah um i do a lot of uh animation these days and things like that like i my big claim to fame for a few years was uh being in uh, well for about 10 years i was in thomas the tank engine um voicing <laughs> various uh, the fat controller and uh, and various other uh, characters and uh so i've done a lot of that and in fact i did dennis and nasher like 20 years ago where i was nasher um, but, uh, you know, I've been on, and a lot of BBC radio work, which I, which I still do, um, book of the week and, uh, plays and that sort of thing and television. And obviously a difficult time for people in, in the arts and in culture is the, is the work broadcasting or sorry, TV or animation work still going at the moment, Kerry? Uh, the animation work, uh, is, I still, uh, you, you can, you can do that. And, uh, I've got a home studio and, uh, I do video games, which are very big and, uh, yeah. So luckily I've got my own studio and, and that's, uh, that's gotten me through the, uh, the bad times. Which I, I, we're kind of, well, I'm itching to start talking about Bob Dylan being a fan. I did consider earlier, do you think Bob Dylan has ever played a video game in his life? <laughs> I doubt it. Well, you know, it's interesting, but he's, you just never know with, with Dylan. You just, you just don't know because he's, he seems to be open to pretty much anything. So I wouldn't put it past him. He might have been the voice of, uh, you know, um, one of the, the more uh, popular video games without our knowledge. Who knows? <laughs> I, th- I think you'd spot his, his script if he'd written any of it. But, True. Um, you'd you'd yeah. spot his voice. Actually, they would have yeah. had. To, you know, that voice is is totally recognisable now. <laughs> so, um, 
Luke, what? When did you first get into Bob Dylan, and how did it become oh, part of your life? God. I guess in my early twenties, which is I think when most people get into him. Um, for me, that was the early nineties, so it was a bit of a funny time to be into him because he wasn't writing any songs. But um, yeah, you know, around about the time I was at drama school, when I was in my early twenties, and, and really discovering all that sort of music, and then. As I moved into, once I left drama school, and I started working in the theatre. It started to strike me that on most jobs, there were two people and they were sometimes the same person, but one person who could always do really, really good at uh, cryptic crosswords. And there was always one person who was a Bob Dylan fan. And, you know, in long rehearsals or, or touring productions, these, these things would start to come up and you'd start to uncover people who were deeply passionate about, you know, as, as passionate about blood on the tracks as they were about some Shakespeare plays and and it was a really um really it was just became a bit of a trend you'd always you'd always see an actor who was who was a fellow Bob Dylan fan you know and did you gradually bit by bit start to listen things check stuff out that people were recommending um yeah I mean I, I think I I don't know when I went from interested party to obsessive because because at some point clearly I decided I was going to collect all of his albums and that's not normal um and I saw him in concert, first saw him in concert nearly 30 years ago to the day, actually. And he was abysmal, I have to say. And I've seen him several times since then. And there was a period where he just got better and better and better. And I, I can't think of anyone else who I'd go and see in concert, decide they were awful, and then get more and more curious about their output rather than less and less curious. So, I, yeah, I, I did. I collected all the albums, then, then bootlegs, because then you start getting into conversations like, my first theatre job, I was talking to an actor called Richard Strange and he was giving me a lift one night and he said, oh, you're a Dylan fan, are you? Let me, let me play you this. And he put on this uh, this version of Visions of Johanna, which is now uh, available on Spotify. But at the time, in the mid-90s, it was this this hidden jewel. <laughs> and, you know, and you, you'd speak conspiratorial about these things and you and then you people would make you tapes and you that, that culture was still going on in the mid-90s, you know. So there was a kind of network of, of Dylan fans as well. So you'd do the secret handshake and you'd argue about which was the best version, the June the 6th or June the 7th recording of... Totally, yes. That literally that dull. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> which which isn't really what the podcast's like. We'll get to that in a bit. But Kerry, what was your route into Bob? Um, my route into Bob was very uh, slow and circular because I'm uh, that much older than Luke. And so I was around when Bob Dylan was not just starting, but when I remember when I was about 12, I heard uh, Rainy Day Women, um, his new single, uh, which I hadn't realized what was called Rainy Day Women. I just heard this voice coming out of my dad's car you know, well, the student you're in, you're trying to be good. And uh, they were having a great time. They're having, it sounded like they're having a party of some sort. And the chorus was, everybody must get stoned. And unlike a lot of people we've had on the podcast, I didn't fall in love with Dylan at first hearing. In fact, I, it wasn't that I... Uh, that I hated it, I was more um, terrified of it. I thought I, I loved the Beatles because they were bouncy and friendly, and uh, and I I, I love the Stones because they they still they were you know kind of weirdly sexy, and I didn't quite get it, but I I, I loved them. Um, they were easy to love, but Bob Dylan scared the hell out of me. So I luckily a few years later, luckily for me anyway, um, Nashville Skyline came out. And that was my way in. I thought, well, is this the same guy? Could this possibly be the same guy? How, 
he, he is the same guy, but he's not the same guy. He's, he's lovely. He's friendly and he, he's in love. And, and, you know, he, he's gone back to the country and he's spending time with his kids. And so it's, it was very melodic and I got into it. And then I got into John Wesley Harding, the next one. And then uh, even self-portrait I, I uh, loved, which a lot of people don't like. And then I was ready to go back and I went back. Uh, I was by then a uh, grown up and doing grown-up things, and I was ready to be a Bob Dylan weirdo. It's a familiar story in a way. People kind of skirt around the outside and then until they find something that hooks them in, don't they? Yeah. Was well, it, how, did, um, how did you get into Bob Dylan, Andre? I think I was aware of him when I was a late teenager and I was playing in bands in my early 20s. But actually, it was a, I was living uh, with a friend who had desire on did he have the vinyl or the CD, one or the other? Mm. And I think it was Hurricane as the song that, that pulled me in that, that really did it. And from that, you just go from, from one to the other, don't you? Um, yeah, you need, there's, there's one thing that, that, that just hits you. I think, mm. you know, in my case, I think it was the song To Be Alone With You on Nashville Skyline. I thought, God, this is gorgeous. What is this? It's not like the Beatles. It's not like the Stones. And then, yeah, it grabbed me, grabbed my heart, and I was hooked. And the podcast, uh, Is It Rolling Bob, on the whole, is um, it's interview with a guest each month. And it's um, the guests kind of seem to vary from kind of academics who might know the, the Bob history or there's people from theatre, there's comedians. Um, David Baddiel's done it. So it's quite a range. And it, I think what strikes me is it sounds quite heavy unless you're a Bob maniac. But actually, it seems to bring interesting things out of the guests, doesn't it? Luke, are there, are there particular guests that have been on that have surprised you and engaged you more than you expected? Well, firstly, I'm really glad you said that because <clears throat> if all it was was a conversation between three Dylan tragics, it would be it would be really, really tiresome. And yeah, the, Kerry and I, when we thought about it, we thought we've got to have that that dynamic of three people because you and I will get boring. We will start saying the same things. That's definitely going to happen. But you, the minute you put someone different in there every episode, every month, um, hopefully they will bring something new to it. And as you say, hopefully they will, it will be about something more than Bob Dylan. I know, I know that sounds ridiculous because people who aren't into him are listening to this thinking what that can't be the case, but I really, really love it when somebody says, you know, I'm not a huge Dylan fan, but I really like the podcast or I really, really like that episode. Cause that's, that means so much more to me because it means that we've focused on the, the guest and how interesting they are. And Dylan's the kind of backdrop. Dylan's the reason two people, two strangers decide to start talking. But the, the interesting thing is the conversation between the two strangers, not what one of them thinks of New Morning versus Self-Portrait, because that's, you know, that's yeah. kind what, of interesting. But our it, mantra used to be that we used to go through, because we'd never done anything like this before, and we've been doing it now for about, what is it, Luke? Two and a half, and a half years, years nearly, yeah. yeah. Um, was the mantra was how does it feel the famous chorus from like a rolling stone mm. we wanted to ask people and sometimes we literally would ask them how does it feel to wh whatever it is how did it feel to hear bob dylan or or just how did it feel to when you left home or you know yeah. it's it's really about emotion rather than yeah. intellect hopefully i mean it's like for example i mean desert island discs is not a show about music it's about that guest's narrative and the music is the punctuation and that sounds a bit pretentious but it, it kind of makes the point i mean james shapiro for example who's a guy i had enormous admiration for reading his his books about shakespeare 1599 and 1606 were the two that were out at the time and 
I had no idea he was a Dylan fan, but when I found out that he was, I thought, well, we've, we've got to get him. And he came on and he was, I think, our first remote guest of, of 2020 because he was in New York and wasn't flying anywhere. And he began, I think, within the first minute of the podcast, he was telling us about Don't Think Twice, It's All Right and why that meant so much to him. And it was about the woman he loved who walked out on him, who he was going to marry. And immediately we're like, oh, God, we're, we're straight in there. But as Kerry says, this is the stuff that's interesting. I don't mean in a kind of, you know, uh, nosy way, but someone revealing their emotional life or how something felt with Bob Dylan as the backdrop is, is so much more interesting than arguing about the minutiae of certain takes of Tangled Up in Blue. Yeah, you know I, mean, I mean, if you were on it, Andre, we'd, we'd, we'd probably go into uh, Hurricane more, mm. you know, more deeply and ask why that touched you and, and how it made you feel. In fact, what we do is we open each podcast, we ask the guests who, and the guests are always people who have expressed an interest uh, in Bob Dylan or have worked with Bob Dylan or you know, have strong feelings about Bob Dylan. We ask them to choose their favorite Bob Dylan lyrics and then and to recite them right at the top before we even introduce them, before we even say their name. And then they do, and then we go straight into why did you choose those lyrics? And that usually elicits something like, you know, um, this girl broke my heart or um, <laughs> It was, it was I, I listened to it the day before I left home or, you know, whatever it was. And then, then we're right in there very quickly. It's a great way to start. And you can hear most of the guests really savour it. You can, you can hear most of them have gone, oh, how can I do this? I can really deliver this or I can sing this or I can really get in amongst the words. Yeah. What about for you, for you, Kerry? Which, which guests have, are there guests who have changed the way you think about Bob Dylan? Uh, yes, uh, gosh, absolutely. I mean, I think most of them have, have changed the way I think about Bob Dylan, honestly. But uh, to, to be, um, let's see, to be more specific, I think um, maybe that we had an, a feminist academic on a couple of months ago called uh, Pam Thirschwell. Um, and uh, she, of course, it's very difficult. It's been very difficult for us to get female guests. Not that there aren't lots of female Bob Dylan fans, but I think the female Bob Dylan fans that we've asked have not wanted to go on record on a show about uh, Bob Dylan. Anyway, Pamela Thirschwell, um, uh, who is an English, ac who teaches English down in, in Brighton, she's an American and is very brave. And uh, she talked about basically people mansplaining Dylan to her and, and various, uh, the perils of, of sort of being attracted to a bad boy. A uh, Dylan is a bad boy um, in so many ways, and he's he's a sexist in in so many ways. And she really tackled that, and it was it was it was it was like the elephant in the room. It was the thing that we wanted to talk about, uh, which we tried to talk about before, but never had somebody so articulate. I mean, she's she's written papers about um, Dylan's badness, um, um, so. That was that was certainly one, and and it was interesting. We had Tom Sutcliffe from uh, Saturday Review um, on Radio Four on, and he was. Uh, I mean, I know him because I used to do Saturday Review, and and he was admittedly not a Bob Dylan fan, and he very generously came on, and uh, we asked him to listen to. Um, was it uh, bringing it all back home, Luke? Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah, and uh, so it, an album he knew sort of, but not that well. And we went through every track, which we rarely, rarely do. In fact, we've decided not to do that because it stopped things from flowing. But it was mm. interesting to hear what he had to say, and completely 
different point of view, like not a Bob Dylan fan point of view. I remember what he said about Maggie's farm made my jaw drop, but not really in a good way because he <laughs> thought that Bob Dylan was just being uh, a pain in the ass. And, and uh, you know, he didn't want to work on Maggie's farm anymore. And well, he, then he shouldn't, he should just serve his notice and, and leave. And instead of complaining about it was basically what, what Tom said. Um, so it was interesting that he, he, in many ways didn't get Dylan, but then in certain ways, like uh, Love Minus Zero No Limit, the, the weird love song on that album, um, he really got it. He totally got it. So it's, and I got to know Tom, who I've known for years, a bit better through his reactions to Bob Dylan. I suppose the, the obvious question I haven't asked is, is Luke, how did you two meet was it through an extensive pub based bob dylan conversation <clears throat> yeah we well we have a, a mutual friend an actor called rufus wright um who was whenever certainly whenever i would see rufus he, he kept saying i must get you and carry together you know we'll we'll be having a conversation and suddenly you two will start talking about highway 61 revisited that's that's what i wanted to do. and we both went to see him in a play i guess it was 2014 i think uh, around about then um he was doing a, a play with um phoebe waller bridge in soho and carrie mm. and i were there at the same night and yeah we we'd we'd been aware of each other and we'd, we'd exchanged a couple of messages but we'd never met and then we we, we would we would stay in touch and we'd normally talk about bob dylan but <laughs> you know, that as... night we talked about bob that <laughs> yeah, night that's yeah. all we talked about and we didn't realize <laughs> that we were there to, it was like a it was like a blind date but that neither yeah. one of us was aware of and so we yeah. just talked about bob dylan all like well our wives were talking about uh, uh other things not yes bob dylan things. normal things but yeah then and you know then it became we just thought well a podcast might be might be quite fun you know i mean there, there weren't loads of them and we both felt that we could talk interestingly as i say if we had a third person with us because the, there's another podcast c podcast called rule of three and i've subscribed to that you know three people is so much more interesting than two um and yeah and between us we thought well we so and so might be quite good and oh i know someone who knows so and so and it was all going to be actors at first wasn't it like? yeah initially initially because because yeah. going back to this idea i said i said there's always a there's always an actor in every in every acting uh, uh, always a dylan fan rather in every acting job you have so we mentally went through all those you know i'd worked with an actor called michael feast and kerry knew david morrissey and and we started sort of and, and we knew that kenneth cranham um uh, again, in, in a North London way, Kenneth Cranham is often seen to be wandering the streets of uh, Islington, you know, going around. I mean, Bob Dylan. <laughs> well, I, I, re <laughs> I met him. There was a record shop on Upper Street called Wood um, in the 90s, because I was doing a play at the Almeida at the time in 98. And a friend, an actor friend from drama school called John Light, who was also a Dylan fan, said, Luke, you've got to go into Wood. Introduce yourself to Lee. He runs the shop. Um, he's a he's a Bob tragic just like you you'll get on like a house on fire and um yeah we, we went in and I, I I made him a tape of some basement tape songs that he then lent to Nick Hornby and he never got back and all this kind of network thing going on but Ken Cranham walked in when I was there and I remember Lee talking to him and and this this conversation about Bob Dylan kind of got going and I thought oh I, I want to be part of this conversation this is fun I, I could I could enjoy this you know um so yeah, a lot and, of actors and, are well known for, for being Dylan fans. But then we uh, we expanded it uh, even before we started, we decided, because actually we did ask certain actors who didn't want to go on, like fairly well-known actors who yeah. just don't want to put themselves out there as, as Bob Dylan guys for, for whatever, or girls for whatever reason. So we decided to, it turned out that we knew lots of journalists and th mm. they knew other people. And then we've had novelists on, we've had... Uh, 
you know, just about anybody who's got a big mouth really is, it's, is welcome. A few people have approached us. Um, yeah. And uh, we've, or, uh, we had um, the novelist, Jeff Dyer. I don't know if you know him. He writes. Brilliant. Uh, yeah. Brilliant. Mm. Um, yeah. He, he writes also nonfiction, but, and he approached us and uh, he was a big fan of the podcast and uh, we had him on instantly. And he was so, you know, happy to be on. He said, it's the, in fact, he wrote a uh, column about, about what a good time he had on the podcast. Oh, really? I didn't say I'll have a look. Yeah, at it was in, it was in the it... Spectator. It's still on online, I think. Mm. And, and then he got us, uh, he suggested us to Jonathan Latham, if you know the, the novel. Oh, okay. And so I was thinking it about... started rolling from there, you know. I was thinking with Jeff Dyer, because his, his books on Where Eagles Dare and Stalker, yes. he did yeah. walk through uh, books, which I thought were brilliant and hilarious. hilarious. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to hear him do something with Dylan along those kind of lines. Well, he oh, he just stop. We couldn't, you know, we couldn't he couldn't stop. stop. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we really, he, he said, please, can I go on? We always, uh, our podcast never run over an hour. And so we, we had to stop him. But sometimes there's, I don't know if you know the writer, uh, novelist, uh, Edward Docks. He was, uh, again, I think he approached us. And mm. um, we talked for an hour after the podcast because he couldn't stop <laughs> talking about it. <laughs> Bob Dylan, but his is wonderful, incredibly literary. It's a really good episode, Edward Docks. The one um, I listened to just yesterday was, um, actually I've listened to two in the last couple of days. I thought the Robin Hitchcock one was very good. Oh, yeah. um, and But that kind of followed the Billy Bragg, which I thought was really interesting because obviously Billy Bragg's got a, you know, there's a spiritual link mm -hmm. a long way. And his his um, discussion of music can't change the world, but it can let you know you're not alone, yeah. I think was a great example of a discussion that was wider, but that also brought out the poetic in the guest. Mm. Have there have been other examples like that that strike you, uh, Luke? Well, that that's that is a really good example. I remember Billy Brown talking about empathy. And he said, mm. he said, there's almost a war on empathy right now, you know, because if you try and express empathy on social media, your virtue signaling, you know, the, the horrific kind of uh, weaponizing of the word woke that we're experiencing at the moment is exactly what he was talking about. You know, being socially conscious and aware and trying to express a balanced point of view about the rest of humanity is suddenly now just, just a sham of a position you take to impress your friends on Twitter. No, really? I mean, that's... It's it's ludicrous, but he he really hit the nail on the head about that. Um, but no, I mean, occasionally somebody will come up with something that'll just that'll just floor you. Uh, James Shapiro, I've mentioned that was that was quite something. Um, Michael Feast, the actor that I've worked with, he was very honest about his past and and how that related to Dylan's music and what it had meant to him and how it reflected parts of his life. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just it's wonderful when the guests are are that open and they're willing to to talk about their own lives with, with Dylan as the backdrop. The other one I listened to the other day was, is it Ian McMillan um, mm. poet who yeah. was talking about the phrasing and Dylan being a master of phrase. And he would, he was saying one more coffee, cup of coffee for the road, mm. one more cup of coffee before I go over and over again. And it's mesmerizing to hear um, somebody with such a good delivery discussing in detail, the lyrics. Yeah. yeah and Jonathan Leeson as well, I think was, was fantastic. Jonathan yes. Leeson, everything he said, I was just like, in awe of thinking this is fantastic this and, is so uh, Jonathan Lethan really did open up a lot of songs yeah. um it, you know he he said oh you know that's a reference to Moby Dick I remember one and I thought oh my god it is I've heard that song a thousand yeah. times I never realized that and and I find the mu the musicians are quite 
interesting on, well, because they're generally quite interesting people. Like Loudon Wainwright um, mm. was so uh, sort of upset by Dylan's greatness that he couldn't listen to him anymore. Yeah. He stopped listening to him for like 20 years. And he, he said this in a song, but I never realized that he meant it literally. Yeah, he said it in a song, <laughs> but I thought it was a joke because he writes very funny. In, yeah. in and uh, Dan Byrne, who's uh, fairly obscure in this in this country, but sort of, um, he's, he's around 50 now and was a sort of a punk indie sort of uh, folky guy who I've been following for years and uh, have seen live uh, many times. And he comes over here, at least he used to. Um, he talked about the time that he, he's, he's very funny, Dan Byrne, and he's, he's a huge Dylan fan. And he's, he's mentioned Dylan in uh, quite a few of his songs. And he, he gave an interview once where he um, said that he actually knew for a fact that Dylan's mother uh, wrote all his songs. Now, this was <laughs> clearly a joke. Uh, all his songs except for... Um, uh, Man Gave Names to All the Animals. Man Gave Names to All the Animals, <laughs> which is sort of a nursery rhyme song, which and nobody really regards as one of his top songs. And apparently Dylan ended up um, hearing about this and uh, <laughs> called him a, a scurrilous little rogue. Um, and so that's how Dan Byrne got to um, sort of connect with, with Bob Dylan. So that was kind of unusually um, interesting that's that's a great achievement and and obviously with bob dylan's own myth making you could see that tickling him uh, yeah. anyway yeah. Have you, well, you've, yeah you've talked a bit recently about the um the last scorsese documentary mm. or, sorry documentary or fiction piece whatever yeah. whatever it is <laughs> um do you feel kind of with with these interviews at all um kerry that you you get closer to knowing about Bob or do you feel that it becomes more obscure the, the closer you look? Um, that's a good question. I mean, I think um, you, I think it does become more obscure. Um, knowing about Bob, I mean, the whole concept of, you know, he contains multitudes, as he said. And that's why, although it seems ridiculous that he would ever play video games, uh, it's hard to imagine that there's an aspect of human uh, existence that Bob isn't interested in. I, th I think he's interested in everything from, you know, the, the, the material, the material your, your T-shirt is made out of to the, you know, the fiber of a hair on your eyebrow to um, some obscure 15th century poet to video games. You know, there's he's in incredibly um, smart. People don't realize how, you know, some people go, oh, yeah, I don't like his voice, but he's so, so smart. And so he's got a clearly a photographic memory. He you know, he doesn't use, uh, you know, any apparatus to help him remember any of the uh, six over 600 songs that he's written and, and mm. still performs. You know, he's he's an amazing human being. Uh, I've certainly never met anyone like what Bob Dylan seems to be. And there must be an interest um, to an actor as well, because you say people knock his voice and they do. It's it's often leveled. But there's probably no singer in modern music who thinks about his phrasing as closely as Bob Dylan does. Mm. He's, he's reinterpreting. And it's certainly in lots of the uh, live recordings, you can see, you can hear him in Visions of Joanna 
virtually exploring the words as he goes mm. is it something you see in it's probably too pretentious thing to say but see in actors um who are interested in bob luke does it change the way they approach things this is why it's so compatible it's because you know bob dylan i mean I, I, a theater director called steve unwin who is a good friend was saying to me that when i was trying to <laughs> trying to turn him on to the 1966 box set of whatever it is 20 30 concerts that all have the same set list and he said luke why just come on tell me why do i want to listen to all these songs done um again and again and again and i said you know, if, if someone said to you, here's a recording of every night that Richard Burton played Hamlet. OK, you wouldn't listen to it every every day of your life, but you'd want to listen to every show and you would listen to those little nuances. And I think it is it is compatible with the way actors ingest this stuff, as well as the the performative aspect of it and the kind of shape shifting aspect of it. There's something about interpreting words on a stage every night and remaining true to the material and yet making it new every single time that is never far from an actor's mind and certainly never far from Bob Dylan's mind, you know? Um, I mean, that, I mean, he's right. He's written the material. So it's his material. So he's, there's almost a kind of willful way of destroying and building it up again every, every night, which is another thing, but, but yeah, those, those little inflections are what actors seek to do with Shakespeare all the time because they think, well, this has been done hundreds of times. I don't want to sit down and say, I'm going to make it different because that's a really misguided position to start from. But how can I make it apply to me? How can I make these words truthful? Why does that word have a sudden significance? Does that little little bit ring truer for for some reason? And that's exactly the same with listening to a Bob Dylan concert, I think. I think it might have been the first episode you had David Hepworth on. Mm -hmm. Is that the first episode? Yeah. And there's a big discussion in that about whether Bob Dylan deserved the Nobel Prize for Literature and whether it was, he seemed to be arguing that it's not poetry, it's songwriting. And I was listening thinking, well, does it have to be poetry to be literature? After all, Shakespeare is mm. performed as well, isn't it? Exactly. Really do, you, do you think, um, Kerry, it's, a, it's an argument worth having? Yeah, well, when we think about that show, we were, I mean, David, we know him of old, but but we also really admire him and venerate him mm. as, a, as a journalist and uh, and as a human being. He's a very nice guy. So as it was our first one, we didn't take him up on that when he said, you know, he, they're just song lyrics. They're not poetry. <laughs> now, if we had him back, we would take him up on it. We don't let that go anymore um, because I think we both think that it is poetry and uh, of a sort. And uh, yes, they are song lyrics and they are meant to be sung, but also some of them, not all of them, sit incredibly well on the page. And uh, we know that Dylan was a huge uh, admirer of everyone from T.S. Eliot to Walt Whitman to Rambo. I mean, his his knowledge of the poets is, is encyclopedic. So... Um, and, and but going back just for a second to Shakespeare and uh, song uh, songwriting, um, we had uh, the actor John Joe O'Neill on, and I don't know if you know John Joe. He's a very interesting and eccentric actor, and he ended up playing uh, Richard the Third for the RSC about seven eight years ago. And we had him on the podcast, and he told us that not only did uh, Bob Dylan change his life, but Bob Dylan changed his entire acting style, and in fact informed his acting style. In fact, I think he said that. Uh, his Richard III was not so much based on Bob Dylan, but based on Bob Dylan's way with lyrics, based on Bob Dylan's delivery. So um, I, I think we, we are forever, 
other people are forever comparing Bob Dylan to Shakespeare, including James Shapiro, who is one of the world's foremost Shakespeare academics. So there, there is something there, you know, uh, mm. when people go, ha, I don't like his voice. Uh, you know, I just, I just bite my tongue and, and move on, uh, unless it's on our podcast, in which case we will have a discussion. You can't, you cannot read or hear a song like To Ramona or Every Grain of Sand and not say, yeah, that's that's poetic on some level. You just you just can't. You're denying yourself a, a massive truth to, if, you, if you deny that. You know, Ramona, come closer, shut softly your watery eyes. The pangs of your sadness shall pass as your senses will rise. You know, I could go on. I'm not going to quote the whole song, but that's not just she loves you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And not to I put would... the Beatles down, but... <laughs> I was on Saturday on. Review once and somebody referred to Bob Dylan's lyrics as doggerel. So <laughs> I, um, I let him have it with, you know, half of Highway 61 <laughs> revisited. <laughs> not that he, he probably still thought it was doggerel, but it's, it's not. You just have to, you know, sit down and, mm. and open your ears and, and listen. Or not, you know, I mean, we're not or on not. a mission to convert Absolutely. Anyone, are we? You know, Yes, we I mean, you can't, there was another guy that I know, because I'm doing um, next uh, summer, if, uh, if, if the, the next, sorry, I'm doing next autumn, next September, I'm, I'm, I'm comparing a jazz, a 1920s jazz concert. And the guy who organizes these things um, has, uh, I, I told him I was a Bob Dylan fan and he grimaced and said, you know, I don't get him on any level. So I, do you remember Luke? I, I, mm. I, I tried to not so much convince him as I, I gave him, he said, give me an album. And so I gave him blood on the tracks and, uh, and he didn't get it. So we, we moved on. If you don't get something like blood on the tracks, which is really a masterpiece, um, as far as I'm concerned, um, then that move on and have a nice life. Sure. It's difficult, isn't it? Because I think it's tempting to, to ask, I could have asked you the question, which track, which album would you give? And the answer you've just given there, Blood on the Tracks, which is seen by many as a classic. But I think somebody might have said on, on your show, you don't you don't go to Bob, Bob comes to you. So mm, either exactly. it's all turn yeah, up in your life. Yeah. There's no point to try That's to persuade right. somebody he, to love it. Exactly. Mm. He's there. He's in the ether, isn't he? I mean, yeah, and, and actually, the, the the other thing is, if you if you have to listen to this, if you discover it because someone's told told you to, it's never going to sound as good. No. You have to discover it for yourself. Otherwise, there's no point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is, I, I was I was weighing up how to talk about this with regards to the podcast because I would recommend people check out "Is It Rolling Bob," whether you're a Bob fanatic or not. But I wouldn't want to oversell it because there is a lot of talk <laughs> about Bob as well. So you know, yeah, he's a factor. You know, one of the one of the <laughs> One of the good starter podcasts uh, of our podcast is the one with Jude Rogers, um, which we were even a bit, uh, we weren't sure about it because um, Jude is not, a, Jude Rogers is a Guardian uh, music uh, critic. You know, she's very uh, knowledgeable, but she was, I think at the time she did it a couple of years ago, I think she just turned 40. So she's not, you know, she didn't grow up with Dylan. And in fact, she, Dylan was definitely one of the big holes in her musical career. And that was fine because they gave all the Dylan stuff to somebody else. So she wasn't uh, called upon. But uh, a friend of hers had her friend's husband who died suddenly was, uh, was a huge Dylan fan. And uh, her friend's husband um, had made a podcast for her, 
her friend and her friend gave a playlist a playlist right that's right playlist sorry and uh she gave it to uh jude and jude listened to it and it was all bob dylan songs and that's how jude sort of came to bob dylan but we we so we talked about how intimidating it is to come to bob dylan at this time you know in say the 21st century when he's he's written all these songs and, and all these mm. albums and where do you start and so it was it was a, it was a good primer to um and she asked you know w- where do you think i should go from here and that sort of thing mm-hmm. um so i think it's 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 a good episode in that it's it's definitely not for um you know the 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 maniacs but also in, in most of the episodes if we do it right we end up talking about celebrity fame, hmm. art, identity, you know, you don't have to be a Bob Dylan fan to be interested in these things. And, you know, yes, you do need to <laughs> deal with the fact that we are talking about Bob Dylan most of the time, but hopefully it's a platform for something a bit more wide ranging. You know, in, in our in our one that's just, uh, I think it'll be released around the time this goes out, our 50th episode um, with uh, Tom Jackson, who's uh, a wonderful, um, uh, he's a he's put together a book about postcards, which was a bestseller, and he's got a a, po- um, a podcast called Postcards from the Past. Anyway, Tom turns out uh, is a huge um, Dylan fan, and so we we talked about the Born Again Christian albums, uh, which uh, which were three albums, 79, 80, 81, which we'd never discussed before, and so we we started talking about mm, our feelings about. Christianity and or spiritual stuff and mm. so that was another I mean really all human life is there we've we've discussed so many things just through the prism of Bob Dylan he just sort of brings things to light one of the interesting things I'm finding listening back is that I've listened to the past kind of six or seven and I've picked a few of the other podcasts out um uh, visit rolling bob um but i also went back to the start and just started from there but obviously all those discussions are not only pre-pandemic which has changed how we look at things but they're also pre his album last year and his mm. unexpected um comeback with with new material that's referencing his past so directly mm. um I, I suppose it's a question you you probably won't have any huge insight into Luke, but where do you think Bob is now? And any idea what we can expect from him? Not a clue. I mean, I, I, I when Rough and Rowdy Ways and three months before it, Murder Most Foul came out, it was as surprising and as unpredictable as it was fitting. The only thing you can say about Bob Dylan is that it's not surprising that he constantly surprises you. So, I mean, now we can look back from it edit from the vantage of this point and say well all those years singing Frank Sinatra covers were you know a chapter and he learned some skills relearned some skills and came back into the world to write songs exactly as he did in the 90s when he went off and didn't write songs and listened to and came out with lots of blues covers and stuff but at the time we had no idea we just thought could this be it could could triplicate be the last album as you say when we were recording those early episodes that's what we thought or we didn't think otherwise we didn't know otherwise but when Murder Most Foul came along there was just something so so fitting about it. It was it was totally unpredictable and, and unannounced, and, and he didn't even say when it was recorded. Um, and the announcement that came out with it was equally uh, interesting. He, he said, stay observant. 
you know, just just these words like these these trickles of advice that come through the ether in, in a in a quarantine lockdown world, just mm. just fascinating. But no, you can't second guess Bob Dylan. He could have anything up his sleeve, and I wouldn't know what it was. But I mean, he could be. Uh, he might not know. I've I've no idea. But uh, the only thing that we've learned about Bob Dylan in the certainly in the last thirty plus years is do not write him off because he was going to do something which is going to make a mockery of the theory you just came out with. So best not to have a theory. I think probably. The stay observant almost sounds like a mockery of Boris's stay alert, doesn't it? The very brief, the shortest of the lockdown slogans we had in the UK. Yes, it's but, not got um, the ring of yeah, Dominic observant. to it, has it? Stay observant. <laughs> yes. we uh, When the arm came out, it, what it most reminded me of was Bowie's Black Star, which, um, mm. again, came out of the blue and in many ways was a brilliant work that you just didn't expect the direction of at all. Um Fortunately, Bob still seems to be with us. Yeah. Um, the other thing that apparently is out there, uh, Kerry, is is Chronicles 2, the second part of his autobiography. Do, do you think there's any chance we'll get any nearer from that to knowing what he's thinking? Well, I, I'm with Luke as far as uh, not trying to second guess Bob, one could hope, I, I desperately hope that we'll get another volume of the so-called, you know, memoir, because it's probably a great deal of it is fiction. Um, you know, the couple that he supposedly stayed with when he was in New York um, has been proven to be fictional. Um, and uh, a lot of the book has, uh, has the ring of, of, of really surprisingly good fiction to it. But I, I mean, I, I would love to, to God, that would be just uh, the, the, the icing on the cake. The, uh, the course, since we started the wow. podcast we've had i mean we've had you know major box sets like all the blood on the track sessions and all the 1969 and now 1970 recordings they could lay their hands on we've had scorsese's rolling thunder review we had the exhibition at the um at the halcyon gallery that we went to Kerry, didn't we yeah yeah um we've had so many things rough and rowdy ways of course it's been a very, very rich time to be a be a Bob Dylan fan. Yeah. I, I can't imagine Bob going through a lockdown without. I mean, Bob is an artist to his to his fingertips, so he's doing some art. There's there's no way that he's not doing art. When we went to the the uh, exhibition at the Halcyon Gallery, this is just some of his many many paintings uh, there was also uh, his metal work uh, i don't know if did, did you uh, i don't know if you saw that andre but um no i didn't oh it was if you ever get a chance if it comes back again that last time we heard they were doing a giant exhibition i think in was it in beijing yeah china yeah. that's right they were putting together like most of his existing public paintings and but most especially impressive was his metal work like i thought yeah right metal work like he he does a bit of welding no they there were these fabulous uh you know gates and chairs and he, he's he's really talented in and the, and the paintings i think have just gotten more and more interesting more and more beautiful more and more colorful so he really is he's like an artist's artist is it's as if picasso could sing i'm a big fan of uh the Todd Haynes' film, I'm Not There. Me too. Um, which I yeah. thought was a, a brilliant 
you know, a bit of encapsulating of the Bob myth, the different parts, Kate Blanchett famously playing the wild speeding uh, late 60s Dylan yeah. and um, and Christian Bales in there as well. Um, big, I'm a big fan of Ben Whishaw was brilliant. Anyway. And if, a 10-year-old black, black kid was playing Bob Dylan as well. As actors, if you were to play, to play an era of Bob Dylan, what would you choose, Kerry? <laughs> I would I would definitely choose the Nashville skyline era. I would choose the Woodstock Bob. Um, basically, uh, happily married, you know, uh, living in a little house, um, taking his kids to school, uh, going to the store, and still making brilliant music, uh, underrated music, uh, I think, by a lot of people. But I think, you know, he was Dylan the family man, not Dylan the, uh, you know, sneering, scary boy. Uh, and so, yeah, I, um, you know, I'm, um, that's, that's the Bob Dylan who sits and puts his feet up and watches Netflix during the pandemic. Uh, I'd like to be there. He used to go to bed before nine, nine o'clock, didn't he? Apparently, he, was, he used he was, to work. A couple of years, he went to bed before nine o'clock. Did he? Yeah. Well, I think so. somebody um, described him as, you know, yeah, just being shockingly healthy. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not that healthy. I'm not yeah. as healthy as that, Bob. But, <laughs> but I, uh, that, I admire that, Bob. Mm. And Luke, which is the Bob you'd like to inhabit? I, I don't know. I am fascinated by the the Bob Dylan who was around when I first got into his music as I say that that early 90s uh persona I'm not sure how real it was because I don't know he looked like a joke who you know he pulled his hood down at airports and mumbled into microphones and 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 willfully destroyed his music on stage but clearly something else was going on in his mind I mean you just read the liner notes to world gone wrong to see how sharp his mind was in the early 90s so that fascinates me that he was this, you know, this joke on the outside, quite possibly deliberately constructed. And the mind was as sharp as a tack on the inside. And he just used it as a way to get us off his back for a few years while he did something else, maybe. I don't know. But it, it does fascinate me. I'm not, I couldn't act it. I couldn't play it. But uh, it, the, the behind the hood years do fascinate me, I must say. <laughs> it sounds like a slight summary of... of his approach doesn't it a bit of chaos on the outside sharpest mm. attack on the inside and using whatever to put everybody else on the wrong track as to what's really going on well he wrote in those world gone wrong liner notes he wrote the phrase technology is now available to wipe out truth he wrote that in 1993 before cambridge analytica before trump before brexit before 2016 before deep fakes before all the stuff which we now consider very very contemporary he wrote over a quarter of a century ago. Yeah. And he also wrote uh, or said famously, I'm not sure where this comes from, Luke, but I know he, he said chaos is a friend of mine. And mm. that's, how he, that's how he works. That's how he rolls. Um, you know, it, it's, it's not how most of us work. Most of us don't do our best work within chaos. But Dylan creates chaos. I mean, we had Rob Stoner on our podcast, who was his bass player during the Rolling Thunder years. You can see him in the Scorsese uh, documentary. And, uh, you know, he wouldn't, tell, um, he wouldn't tell his band what key he was going to play in. And they just had to, you know, to be really good. And that's how he, that's how he rolls. And it's, it's amazing, you know, that, that somebody actually creates beautiful art in that way. 
Well, I think that's a great place to end. Thank you so much, Luke and Kerry, for speaking to us today. And um, yeah, here's to another 50. Is it rolling, Bobs? (laughs) Thanks, Andre. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks to Luke and Kerry for speaking to us. Don't forget to subscribe to the Ham and Hyde podcast and do check out Is It Rolling, Bob? Talking Dylan. And I said, oh, I didn't know that. But then again, there's only one I've met. And he just smoked my eyelids and punched my cigarette.